Hello and welcome to this Sustainable Wine podcast. This is a recording of a conference session that took place on the 2nd or 3rd of June 2021 as part of Sustainable Wine's Future of Wine Americas Conference 2021. We'd very much like to thank the sponsors of that conference, BSI, Bodega Argento, Jackson Family Wines, International Wineries for Climate Action and Avenea. Thank you to all of those groups for their important support and I hope you enjoy the session. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our session on lower carbon distribution. Um, We'll start off with some introductions. I'll start off with my own. I am Karen McNamara. I am the founder and CEO of Conscious Container. Conscious Container is essentially a startup. Uh, We are bringing refillable glass bottles back into our U.S. infrastructure and economy. We're focusing in the wine, beer, and non-alcoholic uh, alcoholic categories, uh, and we also do see uh, other categories coming online as we set this infrastructure up. Uh, we're starting in the San Francisco North Bay, and uh, the Sustainable Wines Group asked me to facilitate this session. And what the title of the title of the session? Uh, hang on a moment. Uh, I've printed out. It's really about. Uh, you know, metrics and, and, and carbon. So let's go around and have our panel introduce themselves. Uh, we'll start with Susan and then just go around the, around the screen. Okay, so um, I am a professor of decision sciences at San Francisco State University. And um, I'm here because my research focuses on supply chain efficiency and sustainability. And I've done some studies on transportation um, carbon footprinting, also done a few life cycle assessments, both for academia and some companies and industry, mainly focused on food and beverage, not not all wine, I'll have to um, admit that. So over the past uh, 15 years, I've gone to a lot of wine conferences and and distribution has always been kind of put in the tail end, so it's it's and ignored. So it's nice to see this changing. Perfect, Marie. Hi, I'm Maria Del Fortier. I'm an assistant professor at U- the University of California Merced in civil and environmental engineering. Um, I'm part of this session because back when I was at my previous institution, SUNY College of Environmental Science and Forestry we did a life cycle assessment of wines from the Finger Lakes. And we looked at different economies of scale and um, actual data from selected wineries. And I do life cycle assessment as as my main research area, primarily in energy at this time. Perfect, thanks Marie and Elton. Hello everyone, my name is Elton Potts and I am the founder and managing partner of Vine Vault. And Vine Vault does several things that, uh, that are to enhance people's enjoyment of wine. The reason we're involved today is we have developed and have been operating the last four years a better way to deliver wine purchases to consumers of high-end wine. And, and we'll talk more about it in a minute, but our process cuts down on packaging, eliminates the harmful packaging and goes completely recyclable, cuts down on jet fuel, cuts down on returns and mistakes, and, uh, and just helps the client enjoy the process better. And I look forward to talking with you today. Okay, thanks so much. So what I'm gonna do is give each one of our panelists uh, an opportunity to sort of dive a little deeper in, into 
their backgrounds. And one of the places that we definitely want to start is, is as we, as we talk, and this is a, this is a challenge I have too, is as we begin to talk about metrics and measurements is really, as you're talking about your, your backgrounds, especially Susan and Marie is to bring forward just, you know, we have greenhouse gas emissions, we have CO2 footprint, right? Just talk a, a little bit about, you know, the, 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 to ground this group in what are some of those measurements uh, and, and what's the definition of them so that, that at least we have sort of a, a level playing field uh, as we move forward. So Susan, I'm gonna start with, with you with some introductions and maybe some grounding in that space. Okay, um, great. I will save the, the life cycle assessment side of uh, everything for Marie since that's where she primarily works. Um, and I will talk a little bit more um, about the product carbon footprints. So the idea being that, uh, you know, I know we're all, we're all confused about, you know, how do you, what do you, what do you measure? But looking at if whatever your unit of measure is, let's just say it's a, it's a case of 12 uh, bottles of 750 milliliter, um, you know, wine bottles, then what is the amount of carbon dioxide equivalence? And, and, you know, sometimes you've seen why equivalence is like, well, because we, you know, carbon dioxide is the most common greenhouse gas, but we also have to consider all of the other ones, um, methane is a, a big one, not really so much for wine, a little bit more on say the beef side of things. But um, so we, they, we convert everything to um, the equivalent amount of, of carbon dioxide. And sometimes I know that it's a little scary and I was at one of the sessions in, um, yesterday where people were saying, well, when, when you get into, carbon labeling, you know, what does this, what does this mean? Having worked in the space for 15 years, even I don't really have a concept of when I look at a carbon label and I see 1.5 kilograms of CO2E, uh, like that doesn't really mean anything to me. It really only means something in comparison to something else. So the only way that, 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 labels or even studies are going to make sense is if you're saying I'm doing something on one hand and I could do something on, on the other hand, whether that's a purchase or whether that's a way you're going to make things happen. And if the alternative way has a, let's say 50% of the emissions, then, then that's all you really need to know in, in a certain uh, sense. And I was not part of the session on, on June 1st. I, I've heard good things about it. The key thing is, is whatever, whatever standards you're using is, is to be consistent with them across um, all of your analysis or um, you're going to, you're going to run into issues when you're, when you're doing comparisons. So um, I've looked at primarily transportation um, so it's not the sexy side of things, but uh, the, the, the cool thing about transportation or maybe the uncool thing about it is that it's going to be a while before we have, uh, we decarbonize our, our transport. 
So, you know, we're not going to have solar panel uh, powered trucks for, for any foreseeable future. And yes, we'll eventually get to hydrogen powered vehicles and all. But the things that we can do now, that will still lend itself to, you know, okay, well, once we do have hydrogen powered vehicles, if we are able to take the waste out of transporting, we will have a better solution overall. And so the studies that, that I started doing in this area, they're, they're, they're old. So some of it's uh, probably stuff you already know, but what you want to try to do once the wine, once you're ready to ship the wine out is look at using more efficient modes for the vast uh, amount of distance things have to go. So if you can ship it by rail or water as opposed to on the road and definitely avoiding air, that's great. Um, other things that help are trying to aggregate your shipments in such a way that you're not, you're sending full truckloads if you, if you are going to use truck and you're, you're, now I realize that this, you start to get into scale issues and I'm sure Marie is going to talk about this the ecologies of scale. If you're a small producer and you can't fill up a truck, well, you know, what, what, can, what can be done? And that's when we can maybe start to, to look at, is there a way to, to get into more of a cooperative um, to, to group at depots and, and try to, to see what you can do to, to make the, the vast majority of the trip um, more efficient. And um, just uh, some other things to, to, to think about is, are there any backhaul opportunities? So when you um, take, a, take a truck and, and um, go somewhere, is it, is it returning empty or can it, can it return with other things with like supplies or, or is it are you using a provider that is able to very efficiently um, route? So that's the, that's the sort of stuff that, that I've looked at. And um, some of the stuff that came up yesterday, you know, what you, can, what you can look at doing is if you are doing a popular premium wine, so not the really high-end wines that, that Elton's going to be talking about, does it make sense to ship it in bulk and then bottle it closer to the end market. Germany does that a fair amount for their private label wines. Um, and that's, uh, you know, but we're not talking about high-end wines clearly. Anything that you can do to make things more efficient that way will be more sustainable. And one of the, the, the good things is, is that when you think about transport, the, the biggest cost in transport is fuel. So even, even if you weren't concerned about the environment, which I think everyone here is, but even if you have to convince someone who isn't um, that much of a, you know, concerned about climate change is like, well, we need to take, we need to take excess fuel out of um, our, our product. So that's how you can sell it. Perfect. No, thank you, Susan, for all of that. Yes. Um, how can you, how can we fill that backhaul with, with something? I, I think that that's a, it's always something that we're looking at. 
Uh, let's go over to Marie. And uh, just one note for those who have joined us since we've started is if you have any questions, please do put them in the chat box and we'll try to address them during this, during this session. So Marie, why don't you take us through some grounding numbers and, and sort of a bit about your background? Sure. Um, first, I want to say Susan covered this really well about the fact that the carbon footprint, which we take as synonymous with life cycle greenhouse gas emissions, that's going to be um, kind of the summation of the global warming potential of all greenhouse gases kind of converted over to CO2 equivalents. So things like methane that have a higher global warming potential on a hundred year basis compared to CO2 get rescaled to an equivalent of CO2 so that we can have one solid number at the end of it all, instead of having separate numbers for different emissions of different greenhouse gases. Um, but then where do those emissions come from in the winemaking process and that whole life cycle? Um, that's where the carbon footprint or the life cycle assessment that you're doing kind of depends on the scope. Um, if we're looking at a cradle to grave scope, that's absolutely everything from the point at which you're getting, you're getting raw materials all the way to end of life management. And so that's going to encompass the production side, all of the transportation steps, and also what the consumer does. So it's going to also encompass um, refrigeration, if the wine bottle is recycled or if it is landfilled and how far things get transported up until the very end. Um, if you're looking at ways that wineries can improve things, then you're looking at um, the carbon footprint on a cradle to gate scope from the point of getting all the raw materials up to the point at which you're selling the wine and it leaves your responsibility. Um, throughout that, you there are ways that things can be improved. Uh, the distances at which you are sourcing your wine bottles um, and some of your other materials because all of those emissions take part into the carbon footprint. So that's all of the CO2 emissions associated with the electricity that's used in making um, a, shaping a wine bottle. Um, that's also the like heat energy that's used in making fertilizers and then the fuels that are used for transportation. So we're including all of those emissions from background processes. And like Susan said, so that we can actually compare apples to apples, we're scaling all of that to a standard amount. So it could be to one single 750 milliliter wine bottle, or it could be to an entire case. Um, so some grounding numbers for that, if we're looking just at what a winemaker or winery can control up until the point of selling to a consumer, um, then we're including all of those inputs for winemaking, um, inputs that are beyond the site. So again, making the, uh, the bottles, pesticides, fertilizers, all of that, and also the emissions directly on the site from running equipment. Um, and oof, where was I going with this? There's a lot of different steps, right? Um, and so to, to give some background on that, um, on average, a wine bottle up to that stage um, from cradle to gate um, to the point of leaving the winery across different studies globally, the average is between like one and two 
kilograms of CO2 equivalents per bottle. So that part is within the winery's um, possibility of changing and improving things to some extent if they are selling directly from the winery. And, and so at that point also, most of the impacts are from bottling, the trans transportation of the wine bottle and also the making of the wine bottle. Um, wineries can improve on other things. That's what we looked at in the Finger Lakes because in the uh, Finger Lakes in upstate New York, it's kind of a unique environment for winemaking. They don't need, most wineries do not need to irrigate because there's a lot of rainfall and snowfall throughout the year. The snowfall also helps because um, during parts of the year, you can have passive cooling of the wine to stop fermentation. Um, some winemakers just wheeled out the wine into the outdoors and that was it. Um, and so you don't need to have that energy use in uh, cooling. And then on top of that, there are incentives in upstate New York for small businesses to um, have solar panels on site. And so then you have renewably sourced electricity for most of your operations on site. And so even with these wineries that we study in the Finger Lakes that are doing the most that they can to be green, we saw some differences between uh, small, medium and large wineries where um, the larger scale wineries had slightly lower carbon footprints. And even then we are limited by that kind of steady impact of bottling that they can't completely control except for um, how, how heavy is the bottle that you need to transport? Like how thick is that glass? Um, and then how far do you have to transport it? So I think I'll stop there with this long explanation. Uh, that was that was very very good, Marie. And I, I think for all of us, just that grounding of of the, you know what what how do we measure you know carbon um, out in the marketplace? So I'm going to turn it over and give Elton an opportunity to to step in and give us a, a little background on what he's doing and and sort of the some a little bit on the on the carbon side because I know you've got that. Great. Karen, thank you very much. So. You know, working with, with Susan and, and Marie here, they come at this very differently than we do. Um, I founded Vine Vault about five and a half years ago, and we're an operating business. And we started out trying to find ways to help high-end wine buyers and wine collectors get to spend more time on the fun part of that and less time on the hassles. And so that's how we got into, into business to start with. And you know, for us, we've been we've been delivering high-end wine. When I say high-end wine, typically fifty dollars per bottle and up uh, to consumers, both business and residential addresses, for about four four and a half years. Uh, and in doing so, we wanted to make the process as delightful as possible for the wine buyer, so they had assurance that they were getting great wine and not wine that had been compromised from a heat standpoint or something like that during transit, because. You know, you go to a winery and they'll tell you about all the steps they take to make an incredible wine, but then they hand their finished product off to someone who's going to put it through rough handling and put it through temperature variations, which impacts that living, you know, that living product, the wine itself. So we tried to take an approach of let's eliminate those issues and see if there's a business there. And at the same time, by making it simpler, be better for the environment as well. So as I said, we focus high-end wine only. We focus on wine that's, you know, in the bottle. 
Um, our process is we pick up from wineries, primarily the Napa Sonoma area that's starting to expand, and we pick up in refrigerated vehicles and we keep a customer's wine fully refrigerated until we hand it to them, whether that's in Texas or Miami, Florida or, or New York. And so we, we will move this wine fully refrigerated, every vehicle, every warehouse until we hand it to the customer. By doing that, we, we immediately realized that some things were important to us and other things just weren't necessary. Cube is important to us in filling up the truck. So the less space that that box of wine takes, the more boxes you can put in a truck with the limitations of weight, obviously. So we ended up developing our own packaging. We did not want styrofoam. We didn't want uh, pulp because those products take up extra space and they're not good for the environment. So if I may, we developed a simple box that I'll put here in front of me. This box is designed to hold a 12 pack of wine. It is double wall construction. If you can see that there, so it's very sturdy, 350 pound test. And this box is what we use for the bulk of our deliveries. It is simple cardboard. There's nothing in it except cardboard and a piece of tape and a shipping label. So the consumer knows when they've taken the wine out of the box, what to do with it. There's no question of, well, is this styrofoam? Is this something I can compost? Can I burn this in the fireplace? It's always, okay, it's cardboard. I either can use the box in some other process and people actually use our box to store wine in their wine cellars or it's simply recycled. So our approach to that is it's simpler packaging, still protects the wine, um, you know, and at the same time, it's just, it's, it's very clear and doesn't have to be returned back to anybody. It gets returned through a normal recycling center, right? Our box takes up about one cubic foot less than a traditional common carrier shipping box, whether that's pulp or styrofoam for a, for a 12 pack. So it's, it's almost half the size. The other neat thing for us is our boxes are designed so you can mix 750 milliliter bottles and magnum size bottles in the same box and they're still safe. That allows fewer boxes to be shipped at one time, right? The second thing that our process does is there's no jet fuel. Okay, so we do use trucks to move our products across the country. They're refrigerated, but we don't need to put the wine on an airplane to try and beat the heat typically because it's always refrigerated for us. The next thing we focus on is if you eliminate mistakes and cooked wine and returns, you've, you've cut out waste, you've cut out extra shipments, you've cut out products that are going to be destroyed because they're no good. And that also helps the process as well. So in the four and a half years we've been shipping wine, we've never cooked a bottle of wine. We've never gotten it so hot that it no longer was, was wine, that, that it became tainted. Um, you know, and, and for us, we also try to provide the customer with a better experience. And our cost to do this service is a little less than second day air. So we think it is still competitive uh, in the marketplace. And, you know, we, we came at this as wine buyers and, a, and as wine collectors. And today, because of the way common carriers work, a lot of wineries will ship in March and October the two months when the weather is most favorable in most of the country, less chance of it freezing, less chance of it getting hot and cooking. All right. Well, that means that 
you've got entire processes that only happen twice a year, that if you could do them steadily throughout the year, you'd have a smoother process and cut down on waste. So with us, we actually ship wine 52 weeks out of the year, and we joke with people that the weather forecast is always 55 degrees. So our whole approach to this is, we came at it to improve the experience for the wine buyer, but at the same time, we quickly saw that by eliminating waste, by eliminating harmful packaging that ends up in the landfill, and by limiting the space that it takes up, we're able to make an impact on the environment as well. So I've rattled on long enough. Uh, Karen, I'll turn it back over to you. Oh, thank you, Elton. I, I, think there's, I think there's some interesting insights there in regards to the efficiencies that you're putting in place um, to, to potentially re reduce the carbon and preserve that product as it, as it moves around um, from a distribution perspective. So no, excellent. We covered a lot of different areas. One of the things I'm curious about, and Marie, maybe I'll, I'll start with you, is you know, we talk about carbon emissions and, and, and the impacts. Um, there's that cradle to, what was it Tate? Uh, gate. Gate, thank you. you know, cradle to gate. And then one of the things we wanted to explore in this session is, you know, there's that gate to end of life. Right. Where I, you know, that a lot of the wineries and businesses focus on, you know, what's my internal sustainability measures and what am I doing about my internal operations? But there's that piece over here that isn't quite as easy to measure. And I think what I'd like to start with you, Marie, is just talk a little bit about maybe how wineries can can look at that and measure that and, you know, begin to bring that into that full life cycle assessment from the carbon perspective. Um, that's an excellent question. And I think part of what Elton is doing kind of fits into that, how wineries decide to, um, to distribute their wines can have a big impact on that transportation piece. Um, having a sense also of the addresses to which they are shipping um, particular quantities can help measure that transportation impact. Um, also having a sense of well, of course, there's data on this, what percentage of those shipments are white versus red, and that can give you a better sense of what's going to be refrigerated. Um, you could survey consumers about how long they keep a certain wine bottle in the fridge before they use it or how long they store it. If it's hard when you're dealing with consumer data, right, because some people just won't respond some people won't know for sure or will estimate. And so there's always going to be a high level of uncertainty and a widespread in how people um, handle things. And then of course you have to account for kind of like how Alton said, things that might break, things that might just not get all the way through shipment. And so there's so much uncertainty on that end of things um, past the winery gate that, um, for us, we, we stopped within what the winery could control because we were trying to provide information through our analysis to the wineries on how they could improve. But of course, we noticed that a lot of it is still beyond the winery's control with, um, except perhaps where they source their wine bottles from and how heavy the wine bottles are. And that's also going to affect things downstream on the consumer side past the winery gate. But I think Susan has done more work on that end than I have. So I'll, if that's okay, I'll pass it on to her. 
perfect. Yeah, Susan, you're on mute. I <laughs> uh, think after being a professor during the pandemic, I would have figured this out, but there we go. So um, yeah, I'd like to, to build on that. Um, and um, also even get a little bit of uh, reusables in because of our, our moderator and also because they're cool. So it, it is important to, to consider what you have control over and, and, and what you don't. But the, of course the problem is, is supply chains are, you know, they end to end, there are very few completely vertical supply chains owned or controlled by a, a single entity. So, you know, what, what, can, uh, what can we do? And um, even if we bring in now the, the possibility, so I'd like to, to, to go from beyond cradle to, to grave to cradle to cradle, which is looking at, well, we're not just disposing of something, we're, we're often either reusing or, or remanufacturing. And so I have not done nearly as much life cycle assessment as Marie has done, but, but I have done um, some, uh, not in wine, but um, there's a uh, snack company that I, I can't name because they were a client, but they package their product in glass jars. Now I would not have picked glass jars for a, a dry product, but you know, that's what they, they went with. And they, they have a um, direct to consumer um, over common carrier, at least we don't have to worry about the snack bars getting cooked um, model that then the, 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 um, the containers are returned. And initially when we started looking at this, they're like, Oh, Girl, and this is this is not again. You know, the, the client's not going to be happy. We're not going to be able to tell them good news. But it turns out, if you reuse that container enough, ten times, um, it depends on the, their different sizes of containers and everything. But let's just say, if if you can be if you can be pretty sure that your container is going to be reused ten times, then you can use heavier, sturdy um, stuff that isn't, isn't going to break in transit or, or, you know, look chintzy or, or anything like that. And you can, you know, you can even probably, if, if, you, uh, if you get big enough, do something even better than, than the, you know, off-the-shelf glass and commission, you know, some, someone to design a prod um, a container that will fit your, you know, 12 of your bars exactly. And, and then there's, there's a lot of potential there because you have to, you have to look, even if you don't have control over it, you have to look at the whole uh, supply chain. Um, and I will also bring in, because we were, we were told to talk about metrics from a supply chain um, industry perspective, they're, they're reevaluating a lot of their metrics too. And um, the, uh, the Supply Chain Council has something called SCORE, the uh, Supply Chain Operations Reference Model. And they have all sorts of metrics. They've recently, um, they're, they're redeveloping it to look beyond um, what they used to look at. So, so waste 
is now classified as inventory. And it's, it's just, and, and we, we, we heard this yesterday, it's like you got to stop thinking of your, your waste as just something you get rid of. You need to think about, okay, this is a material that could have potential use if, you, if you're smart enough about how you do it. And so you need, to, you need to design your product and your processes in such a way that you are not wasting inventory. So um, I think with that, I will, uh, I will turn it over. Um, you know, I, I really appreciate you bringing that, that forward, Susan, because as we're looking at bring, you know, the refillable bottles back into our U.S. infrastructure and economy, um, we're, we're, you know, the way I, I talk about it is, you know, it's, it's an asset. It's not, it's no longer waste. So here is an asset and how really move it, you know, the waste over to the side. And we're also working with uh, another company where it's returnable totes with wine in it. So those totes are shipping out and those totes are shipping back, but the, the tote is, is, is the shipping cost of that tote is um, done by, by dimension, not weight. So we said, let's put some wine bottle, empty wine bottles back in that tote as it comes back to the fulfillment house or to the winery or to us for washing. But I'd love that, you know, um, think about it. We need to think about it differently. And I think there's been some other sessions that they've talked about this, but it's really moving away from that, that waste, you know, that it's just going to be thrown away. And then the other pieces, those, those assets that are, that are, are moving um, really, how can we bring some uh, intelligence into them? Right. So that we're actually getting some data that, that because of that, you know, that gate to when it leaves the POS and it goes out, um, you know, what's happening and how can we become more engaged uh, with that? So I, um, this is really, really good, good conversation uh, around, you know, shifting the narrative a bit. And, and Elton, are you, I just want to come over to you, are, when you're working with uh, the, the, the customers where you're delivering the wine, um, what other aspects of what you're doing do you find helps with, you know, sustainability to speak to it? Do you communicate, you know, I'm just curious, do you communicate with your customers at all about what you're doing, you know, um, and is there any, any high notes that you can bring to this, this session? So, so thank you for that, Karen. A couple of things. We communicate with the end consumer ideally three times before we deliver to them, including one of our uh, logistics managers reaching out to confirm a window of when we're going to deliver. So we give people a three hour window to confirm delivery. So we work it harder than most do. And our whole purpose for doing that is we want to deliver one time to their house. We want to go to their house once and be done. So we, we achieve over 97% first delivery attempt success. If, if we don't communicate with them, if they don't know that we're coming, if we don't work that side, it means they have to be rescheduled. So their wine has to come back to one of our facilities. They have to be rescheduled. And then we have to go to their home again, it, which is all just extra waste. So, so one of the things that we do is we try to explain to people up front, you know, we want to make this delivery. And part two is, you know, you're going to find that this packaging doesn't consume your trash can. Uh, so those are things that we do that try to make it more sustainable and communicate that better to the end customer. Okay. One other thought that I would like to add from, from the earlier conversation here is, you know, 
and, and, and again, we work with higher end wineries, higher price point wineries. These wineries don't appreciate the amount of impact and control they can have on how they get their product to their customer. Okay. Um, it, it has become a lot of, well, these are the options out there. Let's just do it because that's where things are. But, you know, the wineries that we deal with, they, they communicate very well to their consumers about all the care they take in growing the grapes, in the harvesting, in the processing, in, in the barrels they select and how long they keep it in barrel, how they blend it, how they bottle it, et cetera. They do a great job of communicating that and people believe they're the expert. I think the wineries have an opportunity to also communicate that they are the expert in the best way to get the wine to the end consumer, which then opens the door for, is it a different bottle? Is it a different package of any sort? Is it a different methodology? So I, I think the wineries don't give themselves enough credit for their abilities to communicate in that area. I think Karen, now you're on mute. Yes, I am on mute. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, get off. Um, no, I, I love that, you know, kind of moving into the, the conversation on control you know, of the, and, and the engagement of the wineries on that, on that downstream portion um, uh, and, and focusing on that. One of the things I wanted to, to bring forward, and it was one of the questions, and actually that's what I was just looking at, uh, was, you know, greenhouse gas impacts and, you know, packaging versus or and with transportation, right? One of the forecasts we have as we look at, you know, five or 10 years down the road is that, a lot of the transport is going to be moving to, you know, EV, right? And so, you know, when we're looking for, let's look forward on metrics and, and what's coming down the road is, you know, how, when we look at packaging and transport uh, in the wine industry, what does that, what, what do you think that's going to look like? What kind of maybe new metrics or different conversations and also COVID has this pandemic has really shifted a lot of that consumer marketplace, right, Elton, over into that direct to consumer. And so to me, that's a little bit of that new model we might want to explore. So I'm going to start with you, Marie, and just we'll go around and, you know, what's coming, you know, on metrics and, and marketplace that you're seeing? I think um, part of what is surprising is there have been a few life cycle assessments that show that um, ordering things online and having it brought to your home instead of getting into your car and going to a store or a winery in this case, and then um, getting the product um, can most often have lower emissions because those routes are meant to be um, just completely optimized so that they limit the number of miles that they have to travel and if you're only going to the store to get one wine bottle, then that whole impact of your transportation to and from however large that distance is, is completely attributed to the um, provision of that wine bottle. And so I think there's opportunities to lower impacts that way. And also when it is within um, within like kind of mail order or like online ordering, then we have mail carriers that can change over their whole fleets at once. Whereas if we, if we had to wait until every single consumer 
changed over their cars to an EV, what are we looking at 25 years or something like that instead of a, a massive like company-wide change that could be occurring much faster. Interesting. Yes. And Elton, I actually had a question thinking about talking your businesses. Have you seen an increase in your business? I mean, at, since you've been moving along, is it and, and any, any shifts in regards to more recently, you know, with the more at home delivery models coming forward? So look, we, we started small. We've been blessed because we offer a very different solution than most. Our business uh, in, in delivery effectively tripled last year and will triple again this year. Uh, so for us, it's about controlling the quality experience, not growing too fast. Okay. And we literally had to simply have members of our team uh, in March of last year, suddenly stop what they were doing and just start emailing and calling every consumer that we had to deliver to because no longer was it going to the office, it was going to their home, All right? So in, in, during the transportation in route, we had to make those changes on the fly. So all that wine didn't get returned and then try again. So we're seeing a few things. I, we won't see things go back to as much business address deliveries as before which that lowers efficiency because if, you, if, a, if a carrier of some sort stops at a business, odds are they're delivering several items versus one if they're going to a consumer's home. The second, so, so the trend one is, you know, you've got more stops along the route. I think trend two is more people buying direct, in this case, direct to consumer from the winery as opposed to driving to the store or, or that sort of thing. And, and I think that, the third piece of that trend is, you know, there are companies that focus on, I'm going to have your product to you tomorrow, right? Well, to be most efficient here, we actually don't want that product to leave California or the Finger Lakes and be at someone's home in Texas tomorrow. We want to be a bit more efficient in that. And ordering one bottle is not as efficient as ordering, in this case, 12, all right? And we always like the people who buy 25 cases at a time because they're way more efficient. Okay. So, so I think that there are several trends going on and we have to look at the issue holistically, which is what is the consumer want? What does it, what is the consumer willing to do, but how much can we do to educate them and help them make good decisions going forward? Yeah. Education and sustainability and, um, I, that there's a lot that um, we all continue to, to push forward, but that is a big piece. So Susan, I want to just bring you into this conversation about, you know, looking forward and more of that, you know, direct to consumer, you know, some of the metrics and, and the trends that, um, especially from a carbon emissions, uh, greenhouse gases, we talked about uh, perspective. So, so I think I can, <laughs> I, I think I can tell you that that within the supply chain space, just in time is dead. We are we are over that now. We have we have we have figured out that oh maybe it's not a good idea to run our supply chains so lean that if there is a shipping delay, um, we're 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 not going to have enough supplies to to make our parts. So, you know, when Toyota is declaring this and they're kind of the, the, the textbook example of, oh yeah, just in time, Kanban. Um, 
that is that is a sign that okay maybe maybe we need to rethink things and the the traditional way a lot of wine has been has been sort of you know shipped especially high end is like lots of small little shipments when you know uh, like that and you know wine is something that has such a long history associated with it it takes a long time to produce it you really don't need it the second day, right? You know, you, 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 you waited for it to, to show up. <laughs> you waited for them to produce it, cellar it in, um, in French oak for, for three years. And, you know, probably in your wine cellar, um, you're going you're gonna to have it there for, for another year. So, so let's, let's move away from, from this, like, very fast, um, but inefficient way of, 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 of getting products there. Um, I think, all right. So as a supply chain person, I have to say blockchain at least once or, or they uh, revoke my, um, my, my degree, but, um, traceability and the amount of information that we have now is really going to, to help us consider how to redesign our distribution and we're going to you know, it's it's going to um, become very apparent when you have uh, you know when you have all this information and, and you're actually looking at it that's another conversation entirely but assuming you actually have a good decision support system that lets you see what's going on you're going to discover where there are inefficiencies and and call them out and that's that's where this is this is eliminating wasteful processes, and I think we're going to see more of of that. And uh, the last thing I'd like to get back to Karen's um, world, there's a lot of opportunity to to use reusables in a way that you you're not only saving the environment, but and and overall reducing your costs but you're keeping the consumer involved. If you have this sort of subscription model where every time, you know, they return um, the, 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 you know, the bottle, even if it's not directly to the winery, but it's through some sort of process that, that they've scanned the QR code and they've dropped it off at your partner retailer, um, they get a dollar off um, another bottle of your wine then, then you've, you've, you've captured that, that consumer. And uh, I'm sure that the marketeers will figure out exactly what that kind of program needs to look like, but it's an opportunity. And I think we're going to see more of that. Well, we're, we're, we're banking on that. Um, and, you know, the, the interesting piece is, as we move forward, is these systems already exist all around the world. We just don't have a really robust returnable system here in the States. The dairy industry, you know, there are some folks definitely in the dairy industry, but they're their own closed loop system. So I think that there's, you know, not only opportunities for, you know, moving into a returnable system, but also as we do that is to begin to create more, we can, we can get more data, right? More, let's go from that gate to the end of packaging is, you know, we can start to measure um, both the carbon and, and the economic impacts. And I know one of the questions that came through uh, is, was about, you know, returnable systems. Yes, they, 
the efficiencies with a returnable system. You can't have a big bottle washer in the middle of California, as example, and be shipping all the glass bottles in and out. That's not going to work. This is about circular regional economies, right? And this is the way they do it in Europe and most other countries is, you know, those, the, those systems are, are set up regionally based on economics, based on demand, uh, in order for that quite frankly, that comparison of CO2 footprint, right? A returnable glass bottle versus a single glass bottle in a mature system is 85 to 95%. And there's a, there's a lot of data out there that, that we already have a lot of that data that speaks to that. So, so I just wanted to make that comment. Um, let's, in the, in, the, in the 10 minutes that we're, so we've got, got, we have here, I really wanted to just go around to everybody and let's kind of close this out again, speaking to, kind of the carbon metrics and GHGs that, you know, all the measurements and sort of where we're going and maybe some suggestions to our listeners uh, here on the session uh, from your perspective, um, just kind of to tie it off. And I'm, I'm going to start with Elton. You're on mute, Elton. There we go. So sorry. Um, it did it for me. So, um, Thank you for having me to be a part of this today, and I hope that I've been able to offer something that's that's you know insightful to someone there. Um, I you know the insights for me are I do think there's a lot we can do to reduce packaging, and and I I think that you know one of the challenges with the bottle is so many and I'm talking more higher in price point wineries. So many of the wineries use the bottle as a bit of their marketing. So we need to deal with that issue as well. Okay. Of is, does the bottle, does the juice speak for itself or does the bottle speak for the juice? Um, but I'll come back around to something I said earlier. Most wineries don't appreciate the power they have in suggesting and pushing change to their consumers. And I think that if, if wineries were to take a stronger stance that way, that it would be very impactful to the market in total, whether that be, you know, low price point wine that's going to be consumed within a week or 24 hours of purchase, or if it's, it's higher price point wine as well. I think that the wineries have, have a lot of opportunity and more power than they appreciate. Thank you. Good point. Yes. That packaging, packaging, <laughs> packaging is powerful is the way I put it. Uh, Marie, from your perspective. Um, this is something that people, including my students, don't often like to hear, but the environmental impacts, like the real bottom line is it depends. It depends on so many different factors and how they interact together. Um, and so it's, it's easy to have some generalized ideas of how we can reduce impacts, and many of them are um, valid directional um, and a good step forward, but ultimately to really know for sure these analyses would have to be done on every situation, um, case by case. And um, however, we do see that there is the low hanging fruit in packaging, especially because of the mass that has to be transported and how that affects the fuel use. Um, and just the making of the packaging as well. Um, so those are main areas to focus on for sure. But again, it, it would be great if we could integrate life cycle assessment into most business decisions for businesses that do want to be more sustainable. 
but again, that's my field. So of course I'm pushing it. Yeah, well, metrics speak. And so let's, let's just continue, Susan, with some of your thoughts about sort of moving forward and carbon emissions. Yeah, well, um, it's, uh, you know, it's pretty clear that, that consumers are, are getting more and more concerned. Um, I can certainly speak for, for California, where we're just wondering where the next wildfire is going to be. It's not, you know, we just know it's going to happen. Is it going to be, is it going to be in our neck of the woods or further south? So what wineries can do is they, they need to, they need to um, say, hey, this is what we're doing here. Here are our sorts of things. And, and you know, the consumers are not going to necessarily understand all of the details that's okay. Um, but, but just, you know, what are, what are you doing as a winery and what are some things that you would recommend for, for the consumers? So um, back to a point that Marie made earlier um, and that, that, that I found and that nearly every other person who's done research in this area has found is, is that the consumer driving to pick something up, that is actually the weakest link if that is what all the consumer is doing, if the consumer is like, oh, no, I don't have champagne for, um, to celebrate the, you know, my birthday. Um, and then, you know, you go to the store and you, and you pick that up. You know, even if you're driving a Prius, even if you're just going, let's say, you know, five miles into town, that, that is the largest impact because a car is not very um, you know, good for transporting stuff. If you're buying a case of champagne, so much the better. If you're, if you're doing it on the way home, um, that's, that's, you know, and you're not, you're only going one mile out of your way. That's, that's even better. So it's, it's trying to, to, to think about these things in, in some sort of context. And I guess, you know, maybe one last tip for wineries is like, if you are encouraging people to, you know, come to your, the winery to pick up their shipments, have something else going on too, you know, whether it's a, a, a party or something like that, because from um, one of the things that, that, that people do in life cycle assessments is we figure out, well, how much of this do we apportion to this particular process do we apportion to um, the the product, and how much is something that you know would have happened anyway? So if you're if you're saying, well, you know, we're going to have a party, and the consumer was going to come anyways because it's for all of our wine club members. Um, oh, and yeah, and then they're going to ship. You know, they're going to pick up their shipment. Then you know that's and and we're also going to upsell them another case of wine while while we're at it then from a, um, a product carbon footprint standpoint, um, you've done, you know, you've done a good thing. So your, your, your goal is to get the consumers to, to fill their, their, the, the boot of their car with your wines. And then it actually has a pretty low transportation carbon footprint going home. You know, I have a, a, a it, this begs a question for me is for Susan and, and, and or Marie is, you know, have there been any just recent studies out on that direct to con the consumer model? Just, you know, in the next five minutes, have we seen anything out there? Uh, I haven't had a chance to look, um, but is, is there any data that's starting to show up in this space? Have you seen any? 
I've seen it more for um, other products than for wine. I'm not sure if there's been something specifically for wine, which is a very different product because of the needs for like durable packaging and, and the fact that it is relatively heavy um, compared to other consumer products. So there's been a little bit on that, but not as far as I know on wine. Although maybe Susan has, has come across something. I, I haven't, I haven't noticed um, anything recently. Um, it's, you know, certainly direct to consumer is um, a very financially viable um, and, and, you know, a lot of wineries would like to rely on that more than um, pure three-tier distribution, which uh, has its own inefficiencies, right? Uh, so, yeah, but I, I'm sorry, I don't know. No, I mean, Elton, anything on, have you, have you seen anything on that? Just just going around the horn here. But oh, you're on mute, Mike. Okay. I'm not aware of any any uh, recent studies in that way. I mean, it's one of the things that we're looking at doing is, is understanding our footprint compared to traditional methods for delivering to consumers. We just mm -hmm. haven't got that one taken care of yet. Yeah, and I think that's that's a great point. Is there's a lot of sustain a lot of sustainability directors and VPs and folks working in the in the wine industry, and uh, I I think this would be a, a looking forward a, an area that um, really would bring some value to see sort of where the balance is. I mean, you want tasting room participation, right? There's direct to consumer, there's retail, and I think that kind of data as we move forward from a greenhouse gas perspective. I think would be very, very valuable for, in the wine industry in particular, or beverages uh, to a certain degree. So, so thank you everyone. Uh, we, we're just about at the end here. Uh, he's having some, there's some notes up there, but I wanna thank uh, all of you, Susan and Marie and Elton for taking time to take us through uh, some of your findings, some of your observations and really what we have as we move forward uh, in the future of, of measuring our carbon footprints and greenhouse gas uh, emissions uh, in this industry. And I think with that, uh, Tom will close out this session and everyone take care. Thank you so much.